they selectively edited the president's words over and over again. If we were in high school, I'd take you behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. If we were in high school, I'd take you behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. If we were in high school, I'd take you behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. If we were in high school, I'd take you behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. If we were in high school, I'd take you behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. This concludes the formal defense of the 45th President of the United States. You're listening to Facts and Friends. Welcome to this hilariously incompetent yet incomprehensibly successful episode of the Facts and Friends podcast. Okay, listen, everyone. I... I, I honestly had something completely different planned for the introduction of this episode, but the folks over on Pod Save America did such a great job with their impeachment podcast <laughs> that I've decided to completely change my approach. <laughs> right. Okay, Caster. And, and, and I know comparing our show to Pod Save America is kind of like a false equivalence, but false equivalence is a bit of a theme this week. <laughs> Very on brand, yes. <laughs> In a break from the norm, because I'm changing it up this week. All right. Let me first introduce my co-host, Judson. Hi. Hi. Judson's more of the Stacy Plaskett of the show. Oh, that is definitely overselling me. <laughs> my name is Tino, and I- I'm not proud of it, but I'm basically our show's <laughs> Bruce Caster. <laughs> <laughs> Only a lot more gay and probably significantly more prepared to do my job today. Honestly, you're probably significantly more prepared to do almost any job than I think <laughs> Bruce Caster was to do the one he was specifically there for. Oh, God. And we are going to get into that. But before we get started, I wanted to say a huge thank you to our dear friend, the Red State Rustler. <laughs> he is a comedic genius and, uh, as I said, a friend. He has this fabulous Facebook page. M- many of you listening now know that. <laughs> <laughs> but he shares his hilarious political memes there, his original political memes there. Uh, it's very popular and it's very good. Uh, and also sometimes he will share like these insightful political and social commentaries that are like honest, raw, and poignant. So I can't recommend it highly enough. He is a great content creator. And when we finally open our Discord channel up to our listeners, <laughs> we may even get a chance to chat with him. Uh, this is specifically just talking to like the four of you who weren't already fans of his of his Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a jam-packed show this week, and we're really only covering one thing, impeachment. The only topic. Right now, we're going to go through the entire trial, focusing on the parts that kind of stood out most to us and probably most of you as well. Let's start with just uh, day one or day zero, even because it wasn't really part of the impeachment trial per se. It was the jurisdictional argument. Basically, is it constitutional to try a president who is no longer in office? That was the question. But the answer is yes. Yes, it is. Well, you know, it's not settled. Well, we've never done it before. Not a president. Not we a president. have tried. Yeah. We have tried officials who have left office. We, we have. But you know, the basic argument there is, if you say that you can't try a president when they're out of office, that gives them carte blanche to commit any crime they want at the end of their term. That's basically the argument they're making here. Is if, if as long as you can run out the clock, you're good. Right. Do all the crimes. There was a recent report by the nonpartisan Congressional Research Service, uh, and it, it it explains that most scholars who have closely examined the question have concluded that Congress has the authority to extend the impeachment pro- process to officials who are no longer in office and the senate agreed 45 to 55 was it or yeah, I think 46? It was 45 55 yeah yeah the senate agreed that they did have jurisdiction 
And so that question was settled before the trial started. I don't think the defense team got that note, but <laughs> that question had already been answered. Certainly many of the senators didn't Many of the jurors, it. yeah, many of the jurors did not get that note, apparently. Yeah. Well, they weren't paying attention a lot either. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so we've broken this up into a few parts. Judson is going to take you through the house manager's case, and then I'm going to dive into that dumpster fire that was the defense. Take it away, house manager, <laughs> Judson. <laughs> Uh, so obviously we had the house managers were some lesser known names, I think, in some cases of the uh, from the house. Mm -hmm. uh, Jamie Raskin was the lead manager. Yep. Joaquin Castro, David Cicilline, Madeline Dean, Diana DeGette, uh, Ted Lieu, uh, Joe Neguse, Stacey Plaskett and Eric Swalwell. I only I think before this trial, I only think I knew three or four of those names. I want to say. How about you? I think I knew Raskin, Castro, Cicilline, Lou and Swalwell. And Swalwell, yeah. Yep. So and I only knew Cicilline because he got those like death threats. Uh, I only knew Raskin because uh, his son just passed away in December. So yeah. Anyway, there were these. They were all excellent. I, th I mean, that, there were some obviously better than others, but there were some very some standout stars in mm. the impeachment managers. I mean, it was just brilliant performance upon brilliant performance. Like Bruce Caster level brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sure. Like that. <laughs> um, I don't think I can even do justice to how good Stacy Plaskett was. Oh uh, God. She's just a rock star. She really is. Uh, she's the delegate for for the Virgin Islands, the U.S. Virgin yep. Islands. But expect her to be more prominent, I think, in the future. I don't. No doubt. I don't think she's going to be fading from the limelight anytime soon. I think we actually have some audio of her just to hear a little bit. Mr. President, distinguished senators, I'm Stacy Plaskett, and I represent the people of the Virgin Islands of the United States. Over this past weekend, my 11-year-old daughter, I overheard her telling one of my sons, mommy doesn't seem really nervous about the impeachment trial. To which that son, sounding like an older brother, said, Talia, you'll learn that most of the time, mommy really seems to have it under control. Now we know as parents, that's not always the case. But I've learned throughout my life that preparation and truth can carry you far, can allow you to speak truth to power. I've learned that as a young black girl growing up in the projects in Brooklyn, housing community on St. Croix, sent to the most unlikeliest of settings, and now as an adult woman representing an island territory speaking to the U.S. Senate. And because of truth, I am confident today speaking before you because truth and facts are overwhelming that our president, the president of the United States, incited a mob to storm the Capitol to attempt to stop the certification of a presidential election. Amen. Yep. Yeah, she's got a great story, and she's she's going places. She's yep. brilliant. Oh, for sure. She did have that one little flub that where she said uh, acquitted instead okay, of uh, so, yeah, <laughs> should be acquitted instead of convicted. Yeah. But uh, but no, she was she was she really really stood out. I thought Nagoose did too. Absolutely, to be no, Nagoose also very very good. But anyway, the prosecution essentially seemed to be three pronged to me. Okay. There was a visceral presentation of the January sixth attack. Right. Uh, they had new footage from inside the Capitol. They sh had footage showing how close the attackers came to actually succeeding in like 
maybe capturing or even killing members of Congress. Uh, Mitt Romney had a narrow escape. We saw how close yeah. Pence came to, uh, to to some of the rioters. It was a, an attempt to, I don't know if it's so much to remind the Senate that they were the site of this crime, or if it was to engage the American people and, and make them understand what it felt like to be there on that day. But I, I, I perhaps mean, it both was a little even. bit of both, but yeah. was, I think it was probably more of the latter. Right, exactly. They're playing to a, a larger audience than right. in that chamber. And we have, some, I think, some audio from Jimmy Raskin as well as uh, Nagoose. And all around me, people were calling their wives and their husbands, their loved ones, to say goodbye. Members of Congress, in the House anyway, were removing their congressional pins so they wouldn't be identified by the mob as they tried to escape the violence. Our new chaplain got up and said a prayer for us, and we were told to put our gas masks on. And then there was a sound I will never forget, the sound of pounding on the door like a battering ram. The most haunting sound I ever heard, and I will never forget it. Reminds me of AOC's story, too. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. And then Joe Goose also had a, I thought, something that spoke to this. Impeachment exists to protect the American people from officials who abuse their power, who betray them. It exists for a case just like this one. Honestly, it... It is hard to imagine a clearer example of how a president could abuse his office, inciting violence against a co-equal branch of government while seeking to remain in power after losing an election. What you experienced that day, what we experienced that day, what our country experienced that day, is the framers' worst nightmare come to life. They were drawing both the factual case and the emotional case, I right. think. It was so funny during... So I listened to a, a, a fair amount of that portion on NPR, on the right. radio, and uh, <laughs> so you're like, it felt like 20% of their coverage was apologizing to their listeners for the bad language. <laughs> like, the, for fuck. Like, over <laughs> and over and over. Because uh, they're playing audio from the attack or... Yeah, and they weren't bleep. They're, they're like, oh, and we don't have time to bleep it. Please don't be mad. <laughs> we forgive you, NPR. I'm fucking pissed. Yeah. <laughs> the second prong I felt like was they were establishing Trump's history of encouraging and approving of violence and in, and also setting the, the the groundwork for calling the election illegitimate if he if he ended up losing. And so they went through... I don't even need to go play audio for this. We've all heard the stop the steal and... Mm -hmm. And you know, for for months, and even you know, going back to the, the 2016 election, he would made it very clear he would only accept a, an election that he won. The outcome right. of an election he lost was clearly rigged. We've said it before. Yeah, if, this, if he had lost in 2016, we would have gone through it then. He just wouldn't have been in office. Right. It would have been maybe less painful for the country, but it would have Slightly happened less violence. Yes, yeah. it would have happened all the same. And that I think that that was the the second major point that they were trying to to, to get across is essentially trying to establish the link between his speech and the and the the violence. Right. And then that, that third prong, I think it was in closing, they kind of attempted to lay out the dangers of letting Trump or anyone get away with this to incite a violent mob to attack the nation's capital. Right. Yeah. At one point, Raskin said, no, it was Ted Lieu who said, I'm not afraid of Trump winning in 2024. Right. I'm afraid of Trump losing. Losing again, because he could do this again. Right. He could do exactly this again. And he will if he gets the chance. Yeah. And feels Nagoose summed it up pretty well. Yeah. Nagoose, uh, Joe Nagoose definitely was, again, one of those stars of the, of the uh, impeachment. Yeah, he was proceedings. Fantastic. Presidents can't 
inflame insurrection in their final weeks and then walk away like nothing happened. And yet that is the rule that President Trump asks you to adopt. I mean, you just can't do it. You can't allow that, and even though they did, you can't allow that to Spoilers. be the standard. <laughs> you can't allow that to be the standard. And I don't know where we go from I'm there. I'm sure there are listeners, Judson, that ignored the whole case just so they just, could hear us cover it on this show. Us. They don't know what happened. On don't our tell them. On our Valentine's Day show. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have a, I have an excuse. I'm single. What's your excuse? <laughs> Her birthday is next week. So we, oh, really don't, okay. we don't really celebrate Valentine's Day so much. It's a stupid holiday. Anyway. We got uh, one of my daughters and I, we went to the store and we got, we got flowers and chocolate, you know, fun stuff, but sure. It's not a big holiday around here for your wife, for my wife. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> all right, Judson. Is that all you got? I don't think I need any more. Well, you got your closing argument at the end of the show. I, I do have that. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me roll up my sleeves here. <laughs> Now I will present the case for the defense. I'm I'm excited. Let's let's see this. Okay. Or hear this, well, I guess. We're not on we're not we're not on video. We're not. Uh well I am doing a naked zoom call on the side. <laughs> okay. Okay, Tubin. While you're talking, I'm doing other things. <laughs> okay, Judson. You you carefully and intelligently recapped the main arguments of the House impeachment officers. Now I'm gonna do that just as effectively for the defense team. <laughs> If, if, if any people out there did skip the coverage to listen to ours, this is going to be very confusing. <laughs> Trump's defense was mainly three people. Bruce Castor, David Schoen, and Michael Vanderveen. Vanderveen. Now, what, what do all these men have in common, Judson? They are bad at everything. <laughs> is, that, is that close? It's, it's, well, I guess they have more than one thing in common. <laughs> None of them are constitutional scholars. Noted. Noted. (laughs) And boy, did that shine through. (laughs) So I'm going to just take you through each of these superstars of defense, starting (laughs) starting with Bruce Castor. Uh, The defense kicked off with, with my boy Bruce, who took to the podium ready to throw down. Objection. What? (laughs) We haven't read it. (laughs) It's very long, Your Honor. We haven't read it. We're going we're to get to it. I'm going to start right now. That honestly might have been an improvement. I don't know. Barry Zuckercorn? Yeah. <laughs> it probably would have been. You know, he started the way most successful attorneys start. Uh, how? I'll be quite frank with you. We changed what we were going to do on account that we thought that the house manager's presentation was well done. <laughs> We found out that our opponents are competent and realized we had to get our shit together. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, a little bit about Bruce Castor. Castor was a Pennsylvania DA, previously known for declining to prosecute one of your all-time comedy heroes, Bill Cosby. Wait, what? Oh, oh, that's right. You're more of a Louis Louis C.K. I mean, I like putting in Jell-O, but not... Louis C.K. God damn it. Can I make my defense, please? Uh, if you stop slandering me, yeah, sure. Bruce made some arguments that a- any client would have loved, like suggesting his client be arrested. <laughs> After he's out of office, you go and arrest him. So there is no opportunity where the president of the United States can run rampant in, in January, the end of his term, and just go away scot-free. The Department of Justice does know what to do with such people. Okay. I'm, I'm cool with that. I feel like his argument was, they didn't arrest him, therefore he's innocent. And I 
feel like that's not a strong argument. I think his argument was this is unconstitutional, which has already been settled. Right. And the remedy is to file a criminal complaint against a civilian, I mean, which is bullshit. Yeah. You can you can do both, turns out. But Judson, he committed the gravest sin of all for a lawyer representing Trump. He said this. The reason that I am having trouble with the with the argument is the American people just spoke and they just changed administrations. So in the light Don't most agree. favorable to my colleagues on the other side of the because aisle here, their system works. The people are smart enough in the light most favorable to them. They're smart enough to pick a new administration if they don't like oh, the old stolen, one. And they just did. And he's down there, Pennsylvania Avenue now, probably wondering how come none of my stuff is happening. Oh, no, Bruce. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's like, I mean, was he just, was he trying to get like tweet fired and forgot that Trump's not on Twitter anymore? <laughs> Maybe. How do you, uh, it's I like. It's like he has not been paying attention for the last. Well, four he also years. completely contradicted that in some of their later arguments. Ah. But um, let's take a page from the impeachment defense team. I could spend the whole show with Bruce Castor. You could. <laughs> let's just play an overly long, heavily edited montage with unnecessary music behind it. Here are some of Mr. Castor's finest moments from his opening statement. Okay. We are generally a social people. We enjoy being around one another. Senators of the United States, they're not ordinary people. And boy, this is a diverse group. We still know what records are, right? On the thing you put the needle down on and you play it. I represent the great state of fill in the blank. I don't want to steal the thunder from the other lawyers, but Nebraska, you're going to hear, is quite a judicial thinking place. If the individual state legislators, legislatures didn't adopt the Constitution, we would not have it. The floodgates will open. As I was going to say originally, it will release the whirlwind. But I subsequently learned since I got here that that particular phrase has already been taken, so I figured I'd better change it to floodgates. I saw a headline, Representative so-and-so seeks to walk back comments about, I forget what it was, something that bothered her. I worked in this building 40 years ago. I got lost then, and I still do. Boy, have you lost your mind? Because I'll help you find it. <laughs> How did Rudy get in there in the middle? I didn't. I thought he wasn't going to be part of the defense All team. All right. I, I have to confess, I added the fart. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't seem fair to have left Rudy out. But either. it was not without precedent for a Trump lawyer <laughs> it's arguing some bullshit case. It was it was on brand for, for yes. Trump's. <laughs> unknowing pro bono lawyers i remember as i was watching him give this presentation that i asked one of my friends like what the odds are that he'd close with now i will turn it over to my co-counsel who will show you how to tie a cherry stem into a knot using only his tongue <laughs> that is how like all over the place completely nonsensical and and quite <laughs> frankly damning in some respects that his his uh his his preparation his presentation was and i saw there were many reports that trump was like basically screaming at the television screaming at the television yeah. or all but screaming at the television i mean it was yeah it sounded like it, it was not well received down at well, mar -Lago. He got some reviews i, got, I have them here oh yeah <laughs> yeah uh, norm eisen who's a democratic counsel for trump's first impeachment trial wrote right. that was perhaps the worst argument that i have ever heard from a lawyer <laughs> 
So not a rave review. <laughs> but you'd expect that from those pinko commie Democrats, right? He had some notes. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to what far-right hack Alan Dershowitz had to say on Newsmax. Uh. We expect our United States senators not reacting to popular will and not reacting to popular... Uh, and uh, uh, we just... Okay, so Newsmax cuts away. <laughs> Because it's that bad. And uh, we just want to take a moment here to break down some of what's being discussed because we do have Alan Dershowitz standing by, uh, Professor Emeritus uh, Alan Dershowitz at Harvard Law. Uh, what are you What are you making of Bruce Castor's argument so far? Where is he heading with this? There is no argument. I have no idea what he's doing. <clears throat> I have no idea. The American people are entitled to an argument, a constitutional yeah. argument. I suspect will be forthcoming from David Schoen, uh, but this just, I just don't, don't understand it. Yeah. Uh, maybe he'll bring it home, but right now, it does not appear to me to be effective advocacy. He may know the senators better than I do. Maybe they want to be buttered up. Maybe they want to be told what great people they are, and now he knows two senators. But, mm -hmm. boy, it's not the kind of argument I would have made, I have to tell you that. Ooh, that's Dershowitz. Well, I mean, there were, as far as I know, he, w he wasn't being defended on charges of murdering anyone directly or being a pedophile, so I don't see why Dershowitz would be even defending him in the first place. So That's a good point. Uh, yeah, he's got a type. Alan Dershowitz has got a type. He, he does. So tell you what, why don't we take a break? Okay. And I will pick up with David Schoen. Okay. That sounds good. Okay. We'll be right back. The Facts and Friends podcast is brought to you by people like you. More and more, corporate America is taking over the podcast scene. Your support helps stave off a complete takeover. Please take a moment to share the podcast with your friends and followers via social media or word of mouth. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for helping out. It really does mean a lot. Welcome back. Thanks. We were just... <laughs> not you. Oh, you were, talk you were talking to them. I'm so sorry. God. It was just nice to be thought of briefly for a second there. You weren't. I, yeah, I got it. I got it. Before we took a break, we were talking about Trump's superstar legal team. We just got through Bruce Castor, and now we're on to David Schoen. Okay. The very thirsty David Schoen. <laughs> Here's a little bit about Mr. Schoen. He uh, took a meeting with Jeffrey Epstein in prison a few days before his mur uh, su suicide. Um, <laughs> he also represented organized crime figures, including some Russian mobsters. Oh, so that's how he met Trump. It's got to be. Right? I mean, I, allegedly. Alleged by me. Now, I will say this. Sean wasn't as bad as Caster. Okay. But you heard how, how low that bar is. It would be hard to be yes. worse than or as bad as Caster. Sean also wasn't good. <laughs> Sean kicked off his portion of the fence opening statement this way. The joy I believed I would feel if I ever had the great privilege of appearing before this body is replaced by sadness and pain. My overriding emotion is, frankly, wanting to cry. Now... Mine too. Now, come on. Judson, he was a real scout for most of his presentation. He hung in there. He kept a stiff upper lip. But ultimately, and somewhat awkwardly, and for no apparent reason, he did what he said he would do. <laughs> Sail forth. <clears throat> Sail forth into the sea, O ship, through wind and wave, right onward steer. The moistened eye, the trembling lip, are not the signs of doubt or fear. Fear not each sudden sound and shock tis of the wave <coughs> excuse me 
Tis of the wave and not the rock. I'm sorry. Is it open mic night? Is that <laughs> what we're doing in the Senate? I, th- I thought we were having an impeachment trial. He was inspired by Amanda Gorman at the inauguration. Well, he should remember that Amanda Gorman is talented right. in when it comes to poetry. <laughs> that, that wasn't his work. I don't remember which poet it was. That wasn't his either, yeah. But one of Schoen's biggest bullshit arguments was this one. House manager Swalwell showed you this tweet this week, and he emphasized that this tweet reflected a call to arms. He told you repeatedly that this was a promise to call in the cavalry for January 6th. He expressly led you to believe that President Trump's supporter believed that the president wanted armed supporters at the January 6th speech, paramilitary groups, the cavalry, ready for physical combat. The problem is, the actual text is exactly the opposite. The tweeter promised to bring the Calvary, a public display of Christ's crucifixion, a central symbol of her Christian faith. (coughs) Bullshit. I'm sorry, what? The basis of his argument is that Trump supporters can spell. Which obviously is is not a thing. Because she can't spell cavalry. Right. He's try- he thinks we're going to believe that she meant cavalry. Like, that even made sense in that context. Like, anyone knows what that word even means in that context, right? Right. It is, that is not a common usage word, is all I'm saying. It isn't, and she clearly meant cavalry. Don't insult our intelligence. Yeah. We're not Bruce Castor. Well, I might be. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So on day three, Judson, they brought in their attack dog. This was the guy that I expected to see from the beginning. Right. Michael Vanderveen. A little bit about Mr. Vanderveen. (laughs) It's a a personal injury lawyer. Oh, right. This guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a certified grade A asshole. (laughs) Well, I mean, but you repeat yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But most notably... Mr. Vanderveen sued Trump for making false election fraud claims last year. <laughs> I mean, it does. I, what? You can't make this shit up. You really can't. <laughs> right out of the gate, this was Vanderveen. On January 6th, a small group who came to engage in violent and menacing behavior hijacked the event for their own purposes. According to publicly available reporting, it is apparent that extremists of various different stripes and political persuasions pre-planned and premeditated an attack on the Capitol. One of the first people arrested was the leader of Antifa. Sadly, he was also among the first to be released. So could, could you identify the leader of Antifa for us? Because he cannot. And it is simply not true. Because there isn't one. There isn't one. That person <laughs> doesn't exist. Vanderveen was way, way more like he was accusatory, dishonest, condescending, prone to error. Well, he learned from the first two guys what <laughs> not to do. Well, no, he still messed up a lot. <laughs> but he did say something that we both have to agree with, Judson. Ah, okay. To litigate questions of election integrity within this system is not incitement to resurrection. Okay. (laughs) I I agree. I have never once been incited to resurrect. I have never either. I hope, you know, one day I am, but I'd have to be dead Uh, first. Right, yeah. And I don't want to be like the zombie kind of resurrected. I want to be like the Jesus kind. You should be more specific then when you're you're requesting that (laughs) later on. Right. But he had one of my favorite moments of the trial. Okay. This one. For the House managers to say we need depositions about things that happened after, it's not just not true. But, but 
If he does, there are a lot of depositions that need to be happened. Nancy Pelosi's deposition needs to be taken. Come on, uh, uh, Vice President uh, Harris's uh, deposition absolutely needs to be taken. And not by Zoom. None of these depositions should be done by Zoom. We didn't do this hearing by Zoom. These depositions should be done in person, in my office, in Philadelphia. That's where they should be done. I don't know how many civil lawyers are here, but that's the way it works, folks. When you want somebody's deposition, you send a notice of deposition, and they appear at the place where the notice says. That's civil process. I don't know why you're laughing. It is civil I do. process. I do. That is the way lawyers do it. We send notices of deposition in the I, notice I would, of I would remind everybody that we will have order yeah. in I, I don't the have... chamber if you, during these proceedings. I haven't laughed at any of you. And there's nothing laughable here. Um, disagree. Disagree? Disagree. <laughs> Tell that to the people of Philadelphia. Yeah, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Well, those are the I, characters. We've got to move <laughs> this along because our show is only so long. <laughs> I had a question about something he said in there, though. He said something. Oh, you, did you notice how he didn't want to say Kamala Harris? Yes. Like he started to say Kamala and then he's like, I'm going to fuck it up. Let me call her Vice President Harris. SNL, who stole one of the bits that we were going to do, so we didn't do it. But another thing that they did was they, they made a joke about how often all of the defense lawyers mispronounced every, like, person of color's name. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so, so frustrating. And they did, when they said Kamala, they did say it wrong. I assure you. Of course they did. Well, you gave a three-pronged argument. You laid out a three-pronged argument for the prosecution. I did, yeah. The defense argument was a little bit more complex. It had six prongs. Six, wow. It was pretty much based on these pillars, okay? The First Amendment, it protects his speech. Yep. It was Antifa. <laughs> Dems are mean. Sure. This about a hundred times. I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. Over and over and over <laughs> and over. I think I saw a report on either CNN or MSNBC the day before playing that saying, you're definitely going to see this and you're going to see it a lot. <laughs> they were right. It was a stupid thing for him to say. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, of I, course it was. He apologized too. They didn't mention that, but he shouldn't have said it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. The six pillar problem, maybe they're most important. And the one that really was the, the slam dunk for them. Madonna somehow had something to do with this. Two things. Madonna? <laughs> and... That's only five. First Amendment, Antifa, Dems are mean. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bruce Caster counted these for me. <laughs> okay. so those are the six. <laughs> but can we circle back to Madonna? Yes. Good. How? So they kept showing these montages of not just political figures, but anyone who ever said anything bad about 
Trump or a Republican. Oh, say like Kathy Griffin up there. And I don't know. She was there because I was listening to the audio at that point. Oh, right. Sure. But this was Madonna talking about burning down the White House. Oh, right. And they showed Johnny Depp saying, has an actor ever assassinated a president? Maybe you shouldn't say things like that, guys. No, they, they were stupid things for people to say. But how, how does that have to do with this case? Well, you said false equivalents. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a pillar of yeah. <laughs> it was the sixth pillar. Right. Okay, so the First Amendment (laughs) argument is laughable. Most constitutional legal scholars agree on this point. There was a letter signed by 144 constitutional law scholars that was circulated, and it characterized the argument as legally frivolous. If I incited people to riot with the exact same words that he did, I'd be arrested. Van Der Veen was pissed about that letter. (laughs) And by the way, the letter came from people ranging the entire political spectrum. I think there was a Federalist Society person in there. Ooh. Yeah. It wasn't just like left-leaning lawyers. So when Vanderveen got to the letter, he was pissed. And I have his comments to prove it. (laughs) Oh, whoops. (laughs) Sorry. No, that's not the right audio. Here it is. This letter is a direct threat to my law license, my career, and my family's financial well-being. I'm kind of okay with that. These law professors should be ashamed of themselves, and so should the house managers. How dare you? (laughs) Okay, I just didn't hear a difference between those two clips, actually. No, it's totally the same. (laughs) Okay. They're the same clip. They're they're the same clip. (laughs) So that is is the... I'm resting now. I'm reserved for the closing argument, but... Sure. that that's the defense case pretty much in a nutshell so nothing yeah pretty much nothing they tried to keep going on about how this was still not constitutional but remember that had already been settled yes exactly that had already we been would not have had the impeachment hearing were that not settled jurisdiction was established yep so judson it is my understanding that all senators take an oath at the beginning of an impeachment proceeding i believe that's correct i think i have it here i think it's aaron burnett from cnn reading it i solemnly swear that in all things appertaining to the trial of the impeachment of Donald J. Trump, now pending, I will do impartial justice according to the Constitution and laws. So help me God. So they all said that. Yeah, they all said that. Okay. Some of them didn't mean it. Some of them had the fingers crossed or something. I don't know. Backseas. <laughs> yeah, because they weren't paying attention. They specifically didn't want any video footage of them during the proceeding. It was forbidden. Yep. We just had reporters telling us what they were doing. Yeah, the court reporters and some sketches. I've seen some sketches. Feet up on the desk, reading the newspaper on the second or third day. That 15 of them didn't even bother to show up. Yep. And I think one of my senators, I think, uh, uh, hid in the cloakroom for a period of time. Do you think the Capitol was under attack again? Or was he... <laughs> <laughs> trying to meet Lindsay. He wanted to read uh, read on his phone or something, just like where it wasn't like visible to the to the reporters. At least he had some shame. It's <laughs> some small modicum of shame, yeah. But you know who didn't have any shame? Who? The three senators that met with the defense team. Uh, Come on. Did you hear the oath we just played? Cruz was one of them. Cruz was one of them. Graham was one of them. Uh, I don't remember the third one. It was one of the big ones. Like a Holly or a... Yeah, you're a jurist. You just said you're going to be impartial. And the reports were that they met with the defense to help them with their defense. Multiple times, too. That's not impartial. That is not impartial justice. I would expel them, too, to be honest. I would. I, and I, honestly, I mean, had had there been any stomach for an extended fight here, I would have taken steps myself if, in, in that position to eliminate the jurors who didn't show up who were, weren't there for uh, the, the parts of the trial. Like, the, the, Yeah, you, I think we would have won. Yeah, I mean... I'm sorry. We, we may be one. We're not going to tell you. <laughs> it's a surprise. It's a surprise. <laughs> 
Well, they had the Q&A. It was kind of uneventful, except Rubio threatened Hillary Clinton. I'm not going to play the clip. He's basically like, if we impeach someone who's out of office, what's to say that we can't go after, Um, I don't know, a former secretary of state? Could we go after her and prevent her from ever running for office? <laughs> okay, so you're just threatening Hillary. Go ahead. Do it. I dare you. You've got Lindsey Graham the other day threatening to uh, impeach Kamala Harris if they win back the yes the House in 2022. Yep. Oh, my God. Well, there was that surprise twist on Friday night when CNN dropped that bomb. It's a representative, Jamie Herrera Butler, who is Republican from Washington State, released this statement about this phone call that McCarthy had with Trump. And there's just like this screaming expletive laced. Well, McCarthy's trying to get him to like call the dogs off, basically, right? right. Like. Tell the tell the people to stand down, like stop this violence. And Trump's like, these aren't my people. They're they're you know these are like Antifa. And McCarthy McCarthy's like, no, Mr. President, these are your people. These are MAGA people. These are your people here. Right. And then Trump says, Well, Kevin, I guess these people are more upset about the election than you are. <laughs> McCarthy was like, Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? Oh my god! Uh, it, it went downhill from there. Sounds like right right up, right up until like two days later when McCarthy flies down to Mar-a-Lago to kiss the ring and get a photo op with him. There's <laughs> no shame. No shame. Not a bit. Not a bit. So the next day they were supposed to have closing arguments and suddenly they were going to consider having witnesses. Yeah, that's right. And they actually voted to have witnesses. They did. They, they 55 45. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. But there was some wheeling and dealing behind the scenes. Apparently, Cruz threatened to call 300 and something witnesses. Right. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, you can call all you want, but the Senate's got to vote vote on them then. That's the that's the problem is they were attempting to gum up the works of the, all the other business of the Senate, essentially. Right. So they admitted Herrera Butler's statement into evidence, and then they moved on to closing arguments, which were pretty uneventful. I mean, I think part of it was, you know, media driven excitement, right? Right. We're not all watching the coverage. So when we see CNN blasted across the front page, you know, uh, impeachment trial to hear witnesses, and then all of a sudden there aren't any witnesses, uh, it was a real. Uh, emotional roller coaster for those of us who are somewhat invested in the outcome of the trial. I kind of agree with them not calling witnesses. Yeah, I don't know what the right answer is there. I think they didn't necessarily have friendly witnesses to call. I think that was the bigger problem. Yeah. They they apparently reached out to some of these material witnesses. Like Jenna Ryan was not going to be a cooperative witness, right? Yeah, they reached out to some of these material witnesses. No one would come forward willingly, and so then you run into subpoenas and people fighting subpoenas. And these people are in a cult. Well, I mean, not just them, but even people who are not in the cult but who didn't want to come out publicly against the president, I think, were also in that, in that group. Mm. People who may have been on the phone calls or overheard phone calls, uh, for the McCarthy thing in particular. All right, Judson. Now, everybody has been waiting with bated breath to hear how this all ended, right? <laughs> That's right. You couldn't tell. And we, kept, we kept the secret. Right. We kept it under wraps right up to the very end. Because justice is blind and senators put country before Trump, the Senate, of course, voted to convict I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? Right? Isn't that what happened? That's. Is this your <laughs> first day in America, Judson? I heard Mitch McConnell's powerful speech after it had all been decided. So I know he voted to convict. Listen to this. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. No question about it. No question about it. Could you be it. more clear than that? You could not, in fact, be more clear than that. But he voted to acquit. What? 
Yeah. That's me pretending not to know that already. We'll get to that motherfucker in a minute. So one thing I want to say about it. Mitch is saying that the House impeachment managers totally proved their case. Yes. That Trump is a monster and he incited the violent and deadly insurrection. Yep. Mitch is also saying that he had to acquit Trump on a technicality, that being Trump is no longer in office. So Johnson, can you just quickly remind me who made the situation that led to that <laughs> technicality inevitable? That would be the senior senator from Kentucky, one uh, Mitch McConnell? Mitch McConnell himself? Oh, no, that's it. That's it. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he set the situation up. He, 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 de- he delayed the trial until after Trump was out of office. And he said in that same speech that they chose to delay delivering them the articles of impeachment, the article of impeachment to him. Horseshit. A total lie. Yeah, that's a lie. Uh, it was delivered to him. He had plenty of time. He could have called the Senate back into session. He decided not well, the, to. No, they were told they, they would not accept it. Oh, really? They said, if we if you deliver it, we're just going to send it back. It's not how that should work. No. <laughs> but so they delayed, the, they deliberately delayed the trial until Trump was out of office. Then they rely on the fact that he's out of office to, pre- to pretend like they can acquit him on a technicality when the Senate itself already decided that it wasn't a technicality it wasn't a problem. Right. So it's, that it's, they did have jurisdiction. It's a bogus argument to begin with, even though we tr- he caused it and probably did it on purpose so he could make that argument and use it as cover. And now he's wanting it both ways. He's very much trying to have it both ways. Yeah. Well, of course, yes, they did acquit. Seven Republicans ultimately voted to convict. They needed 34 votes to acquit. And though they ended up with 43, it was none, none other than Marco Rubio <laughs> who first put them at that magic number. It's the same Marco Rubio who said this about Trump in 2016. Presidents can't just say whatever they want. There are consequences to the words of a president. There are consequences to the words of a presidential candidate as well. You have a candidate in Donald Trump who clearly has used language that appeals to anger and in some instances has actually said to the crowd, no, let's beat this person up or let's do this or let's do that. So it shouldn't surprise us that you see a growing amount of violence at some of his events. There's only one presidential candidate who has violence at their events. Yeah, if only he stood by those words now. Yeah, spineless. Uh, we're going to get into it, I think, in your closing argument, which is a little bit lengthy. So let's take a quick break. Uh, I'm going to go toast a bagel and spread some Philadelphia cream cheese on it. <laughs> And then we'll come right back to finish up the show. And Judson and I will present our closing statements on this whole impeachment mess. (laughs) Hey, FNFers, Judson here. Tino and I are always looking to interact more with our fantastic audience. If you have questions, ideas, complaints, or just need a friend, you can reach out to us at factsandfriends at gmail.com. That's facts, the letter N, friends at gmail. And if you want to make a more intimate connection, I'm on Twitter at the fault in my arse. Again, the fault, the letter N, my arse. And you can find Tino at Uncle Tortilla. We can't wait to hear from you. Welcome back, and I don't mean you, Judson. Damn it! Sorry. I always get left out. Judson and I are about to present our closing statements on the impeachment proceedings for you. But first, the begging. <laughs> The traditional begging part of the show, yes. Yes. I know we have a bunch of new listeners. We're so excited. And if you haven't already, do please subscribe to the show. And if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would also be fantastic. Or whatever podcast delivery system of choice that you use. But most importantly, just tell your friends about us and suggest that they subscribe and download as well. You can check us out on Twitter at Facts and Friends, Facts the letter and Friends. And many of you already know this, but you can also follow us at Facts and Friends on Facebook. All of these things would really help us keep growing our audience and keep us on the air. So thank you very much in advance. And one more huge thanks to the brilliant Red State Wrestler for the plug. I'm using it right now. Also, thanks for mentioning us on your page. <laughs> Wait, he got you a gift? <laughs> 
<laughs> it feels fantastic. Sure. Perfect fit. Perfect fit. I mean, he, know, he knows that it would not be up my alley, but okay. <laughs> well, it would be if he got you one. <laughs> <laughs> we are children, Tino. We are children. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Much like the impeachment trial itself, I think we should both give our closing statements, sort of summarizing the trial itself. And why don't you go first? Okay. 43. 43 cowards. 43 traitors. 43 boot-licking political lapdogs so desperate to catch whatever stray crumbs the GOP base their golden idol happens to let slip from his tiny Vienna sausage-like fingers. They were willing to overlook the small matter of the president being not just indifferent to their own potential assassinations at the hands of the violent mob he sent to their offices, but how he may very well have been actively cheering their would-be murderers on. We knew from the outset that this was a sham trial. The jurors were witnesses, victims, and in a non-zero number of cases, co-conspirators in both the crimes and the defense. And to make matters worse, at the start of the trial, the junior senator from Kentucky got 44 other Republicans to go along with the idea that they couldn't possibly impeach a president who was out of office, including the senior senator from Kentucky who deliberately delayed starting the trial until Trump's term had expired. Which is, of course, the excuse they all used to vote against convicting the obviously guilty party. But even the blatant lack of ethics by Kentucky's, I don't know, finest, as well as Senators Zodiac Killer and Lindsey Gremlin, among others, was not enough to distract from the seriousness of the charges and the strength of the case made by the House managers. The impeachment managers were nothing short of brilliant, and in front of any fair, qualified, not ethically compromised, down to their very bones jurors, the verdict would have been returned in record time and with a conviction. And listen, I can accept that your party mortgage, mortgaged its very soul to Trump and intends to ride his coattails right into the fucking brick wall surrounding whichever federal penitentiary in which he spends his final days residing. But don't you dare try to send out your supposed institutionalist statesman to try and gaslight the country after 43 of you just voted to ignore an attack on our capital by thousands of domestic terrorists. Yeah, Mitch, I see you. Mitch McConnell could have stood up to Trump at any moment at all. He could have spoken out against his racism, his xenophobic language, his attacks on the freedom of the press or speech or religions that aren't Jesus-centric. He could have stood up to his blatant disregard for impartial justice or the Hatch Act violations or just plain good manners. He could have lobbied his Senate colleagues to end this farce of a presidency a year ago during the first impeachment, in which the president was also clearly guilty of abuse of power. He could have spoken out publicly and warned the president that his position was in peril of being revoked if he continued to engage in abuses of the same for the remainder of his term. He could have stopped the big lie before it even began and acknowledged Joe Biden as the president-elect when it became obvious that's exactly what he was. McConnell could have called the Senate back into session and stripped Trump of his office in January immediately after the deadly attack on D.C. that was incited by the president and could have resulted in far more loss of life than it did, including sitting members of Congress. And Mitch could even have once again rallied his party to take a stand against this attempted coup and blocked Trump from ever again holding public office and being in a position in which he could once again tear the fabric of our nation. But Mitch McConnell did none of that. Instead, he punted his constitutional duty to the next majority speaker, then voted for acquittal of an obviously guilty man on baseless grounds. Fuck you, Mitch. You don't get points from me for being in a position to cut Trump off from your party at literally any moment you chose, and then choosing the one goddamn time when it's too late to matter. Trump's cancer can't be excised from your party anymore. The GOP is nothing but cancer cells now. The metastasis, the hostile takeover, whatever you want to call it, is complete. He won. He beat your entire party into submission. And you helped him do it. Hope those judges were worth it. Wow. That was powerful. You sound mad. I'm a little mad. I'm a little mad. <laughs> no one rants quite like you. <laughs> now, you definitely took more of a, 
I don't know, like a Stacy Plaskett or Jamie Raskin kind of approach. Again, you are overselling me. <laughs> I, I went the other direction. Okay. My closing remarks are more in the style of Bruce Casper, <laughs> but also mercifully, they're considerably shorter. I think we, we all agree that's better. Judson, as I think about impeachment and how much it divides our country, I, I wonder about a lot of things. I, I wonder about the state of political tribalism in this country. I wonder about the message it sends to the American people. I wonder if that last bit of rotisserie chicken in my fridge that I bought last Wednesday is still okay to eat. <laughs> Five days is okay, right? <laughs> Look, we all know impeachment is pointless political theater. But did you know I could move my scalp without touching it? <laughs> also, while we're talking about it, there was this time I went to the Grand Canyon with a friend and we hiked all the way down to the bottom. It was like 114 degrees. It took all day. And finally, when we got to the top, like late at night, we found out we were on the opposite side from where we descended. We were lost <laughs> hundreds of miles from our car. And I bet if I went back to the Grand Canyon, Judson, I bet I'd get lost again. <laughs> and that reminds me. Okay. Did you know when you boil shrimp that you're supposed to turn the heat off once the water's boiling before you add the shrimp to cook them correctly? <laughs> Three minutes. Perfect every time. <laughs> which, which brings me to my final point. My dog once had this issue where his penis wouldn't retract. <laughs> he, he, he was walking all funny and I was really worried that I was going to have to go to the vet and tell them my dog has an erection that's lasted for over four hours. Anyway, it fixed itself. And that's why Donald Trump should be acquitted. <laughs> the Red Rocket defense. Intriguing. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> anyway, thank you all very much for listening to our show. We will see you next week. Take care, everyone. Let me also bring something else up. I'll briefly say that defense counsels put a lot of videos out in their, um, in their defense, playing clip after clip of black women talking about fighting for a cause or an issue or a policy. It was not lost on me as so many of them were people of color and women, and black women, black women like myself, who are sick and tired of being sick and tired for our children, your children, our children. 